Good morning. My name is Andy Babiak. I'm part of the preaching team here at Daybreak. And I did not have anything to do with the songs they picked this morning before the message. But it was really cool to have that song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness, right before the message. Because before my wife and I were married and she was working on the wedding, and we were working on the wedding, my only main request was, we've got to have that song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness, as a part of our ceremony. Because I just felt this incredible sense of God's faithfulness culminating in that day of our marriage together. And we're in week two of this series this morning, Staying in Love. So to, so to get started, we are going to review a little bit. So please repeat after me. Falling in love requires a pulse. Falling in love requires a pulse. Staying in love requires a plan. Falling in love requires a pulse. Staying in love requires a plan. That's pretty good. Yeah, falling in love is pretty much about attraction. But to stay in love, you've got to have the right action. You know, we're going to rhyme all the way through this morning. That's all we're going to do together. Not really. Last week, we asked the question, is it possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love forever? When you hear that question, there is something inside of you that says, yes, I think I can do it. When you hear something, when you hear that question, is it possible to really fall in love and stay in love forever? You want to, and you say, yeah, I can do it if I find the right person. You see, there's something inside of us, even though that it doesn't really seem probable when you look around, and even though there is absolutely nothing in culture that helps us, there's something inside of us that thinks it is possible. And perhaps it's the thumbprint of God on your soul, the image of God on you and on me. There is something inside of us you see, I want to have three or four really close friends, but I also want to have that special person to experience life with that knows me inside and out so that we can experience the ultimate intimacy physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And that desire, it doesn't go away it doesn't matter how many bad relationships you've had or broken relationships. It is just in you that you want that. And Jesus is, is ready to help us with this. Last week we learned that Jesus taught that if you want to stay in love, if you want to stay in love forever, that falling in love is easy, but staying in love is difficult. And we also learned that if you stay in love, if you want to stay in love, you have to make love a... Yeah, I thought somebody was going to say a lot. <laughs> no, it's that you have to make love a verb. You have to make love a verb. That is, you have to take the noun that you fell into, I fell into it, and you have to turn it into a verb. It becomes something that you do. 
Last week, we learned about in the relationship, it needs to be an action. So you have to learn the kinds of things that you have to do in order to stay in love. And Jesus added a little something extra at the end of that statement. He said, love one another, verb one another, action, do things one another the way I loved you. In other words, making love a verb really isn't a new concept. But the tendency is for us to take our cue from our parents. That is, we are either going to do it the way our parents did, or we're going to run in the total opposite direction from what they did, and that might not be any more healthy. Or you might take your cue from culture for how to love, or from what you see around you, or from your friends, or from your previous relationships, or from what your peers say. And Jesus says, no, I want you to love, but I want you to love the way I loved you. I want you, as, you're, as we're going to see today, I want you to take your cue, not from culture, not from your parents or grandparents, even though they might have been good role models. I want you to take your cue from me. I want you to learn to love the same way that I loved you. And we're going to take an in-depth look at what that means this morning. You see, we may need to remodel our love by looking to Jesus instead of other models of love. We may need to remodel our love by looking to Jesus instead of other models of love. You see, it's challenging to do this, but it's wonderful. And when you find yourself this morning pushing back a little bit during the message, when you start to think about giving up or it's too much to, 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 to think about, or when you start wanting to count the number of lights in the ceiling, I want you to just ask yourself this question. Would I like to be loved this way? Would I enjoy being loved this way? Oh, yeah. And I'm telling you, if you want to stay in love, this is how it's done. If, you're, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Philippians 2 this morning. And these are some pretty complex verses that theologians love to talk about, argue about, dissect, and come up with all different sorts of theological ideas. But we're not going to make it complicated this morning, as, as Paul's intent is quite obvious. You see, Paul came along after Jesus, looked at the life of Christ, and drew some conclusions and wrote some letters to different groups of believers. This particular letter was written to a group of people in Philippi, a city named after Alexander the Great's father. And Paul is basically saying Based on what I've seen, based on what I've heard from people who know Jesus, based on the interviews that I've had with people, this is what it looks like to love the way Jesus loved. And he gives us some instructions that are applicable to all relationships. So even if you're not currently in a marriage relationship, all of these points are applicable to all the relationships you have right now. But what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look through the lens 
through the filter of that one-on-one relationship that you either hope to have, are in, or maybe you're trying to patch up and repair. You see, we're going to look through these verses through that lens, through that type of relationship, not just the general one another, but the one. And that one that you are in love with or hope to fall in love with someday. Listen to what Paul says in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceits. In this love relationship, just don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And that little phrase, selfish ambition, really carries with it the idea of competitiveness, to compete with. So Paul essentially is saying, look, if you want to stay in love, if you want a healthy relationship, don't compete with each other. Don't compete. In other words, when she is telling that story and she gets some details wrong, don't interrupt her. No, it was red, honey, not blue. No, it was three people who were there, not four. No, that happened on Tuesday, not Wednesday. Just let her tell the story wrong. Don't compete. Don't compete with him. Don't compete with her. Whatever it is that you have going on inside of you, whatever insecurities you might have, or whatever your issue is, just remove it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceits. And then Paul goes on, and and here's the, the next point is really the main point of the passage. This next phrase is one that happens to be omitted up here in this passage as well, which is ironic because it is the main point that carries throughout the passage. And it's at this point when you hear this phrase, you're going to think, I don't think I can do this. If I do what you're saying, I could be taken advantage of. I'm not going to go first. It's too risky. But here is the heart of what it means to stay in love and love another person. It's the end of verse 3. Rather in humility, literally in humility of mind, an attitude to live out your life, value others above yourselves. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. Value the one above yourself. Literally, act as if he is more important than you. Make decisions as if you believe that she is more important than you. Have you ever been around somebody who's more important than you? Sure you have. Let me tell you about it. Pause here for a second because here might be the pushback. You might be saying, well, Andy, are you saying that some human beings have more intrinsic value than others? No, that's not the point of this passage. But I want you to think about a time in your life when you were around someone in a particular context when they were more important than you. Have you ever been to a wedding where you are not the bride or the groom? Did you notice how people stood in line for hours to talk to them and not to you? Because in that particular context, I hate to break it to you, 
you were not the most important person in the room. Did you notice that as the bride walked in, everybody stood up? And when you walked in, nobody noticed? Because in that particular context, you were not the most important person in the room. We have all been in rooms and in places where we're not the most important person. Think about it. Have you been to your boss's house for dinner? You are not the most important person in the room. Have you ever been in the presence of a famous athlete or a national hero? And maybe you go up to them and you get your autograph from them, or you ask them for your autograph, for their autograph. And they give you their autograph and you say something, and then afterwards you're like, man, what I just said didn't make any sense. Because you were in the presence, and in that moment, you were in the presence of someone we could say who was a great person. You were honored to be in their presence. Now with that in mind, how do you treat someone like that? Let me, how, let me tell you how you treat them. You defer to them. You defer to them. You don't interrupt them and say, no, 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 I think it was blue, not red. Or go ahead, I'll listen. Or you pat them on the back at the dinner table and say, posture, posture, trying to get them to sit up a little more. You don't do any of that. You don't correct them. And you know what? You even laugh at their jokes even when they're not funny. You defer to them. Because in that moment, in that moment, the, the key point here is respect. Respect. I am going to treat you as if you are more important than me. I am going to treat you as if you have more value than me. Not in the realm of all humanity and thinking that some human beings have more value than others. No, we're not talking about that. But in this moment, you defer to them. You show them respect no matter what that means. You might offer it through your activity, through what you say, through what you don't say, through how you say it. You respect them. And because you treat them, because in that moment, you believe they are more important than you. And the Apostle Paul, he says, that is how you treat other people. And specifically, that is how you treat your special one if you want them to stay in love with you and you with them. That's how you treat your husband. That's how you treat your wife. This is how you treat that special one. Every single day, every single decision, every day, all the time, you respond as if they are more valuable, more important than you are. And you say, well, well, wait a minute, Andy. I think they might take advantage of me with this. They might. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could really do this because... How am I sure that it's going to come back my way? It may not. And that's none of your business, actually. This is just simply how you're supposed to treat them. Think about it this way. What's your most valued possession? What's your most valued possession? How do you treat your most valued possession? Well, you're careful about how you treat it and how other people treat it, aren't you? You protect it, you keep it clean, you keep it shiny, whatever it is. And you're saying, yeah, I keep that most valued possession in the garage. 
Can I keep her? No. That is not where we're going with this. You think about how you value, protect, and care for your most valued possession. You treat it differently. You treat it consistently. It's special. There's a sense in which you treat it with a little bit of awe. And God is saying, Paul is saying, people who have done this for a while are saying, that is how you treat that special someone in your life, with a sense of awe. Now, we don't do that, do we? And that's how you fall out of love. But you know when you first met? You did it a little bit, didn't you? Have you met her? Oh. He just called. Oh. Have you seen her? Oh. There's a sense that I don't want to mess this up. I want to make sure I keep her. This is precious. This is tender. This is fragile. This is my undivided attention. So you know how to do this. In the beginning, there's so much emotion, so much passion that it comes naturally at first. But people who stay in love, they've learned to just keep doing that. They learn how every single day, what first came naturally, they learn how to do it intentionally. Every single day, every single opportunity. They treat the person as if they are really more important than they are. And they decide the other person comes first. And I'm telling you that if, you both, if you've never seen it, if you've never experienced it, when two people come together and they both decide to do that, when two people come together and practice mutual submission, like we talked about last week, when you see two people love, respect, and value each other like that, it is a powerful, powerful thing. And that's how two people who fell in love stay there. It's how they generate it. It's how they nurture it. And I'm telling you, that's how it gets deeper. That's how it gets better. It's how it gets richer. It's, you know what, there's going to be bumps There's going to be kids. There's going to be physical things. There's going to be financial things and circumstantial things. There are all of these things in life. But in every opportunity, they go, oh, you, you. I'm treating you as if you have greater value than me. It's a decision you make. It's a verb you do. It's a lifestyle you develop. And when two people do this, It is absolutely unbelievable. Value him. Value her. Treat with value above yourself. Now, if that wasn't enough, he goes on to elaborate even more in verse 4. Same sentence, same idea. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interest of the other. Now, this is hard for me, and I'll tell you why. And maybe you can identify with this. I am mostly interested with things that interest me. I'm mostly interested with things that interest me. And I am not naturally interested in things that are not naturally interesting to me. And you're the same way. And so this means that we spend, we naturally gravitate towards the things that are not interesting to us. So that's where we spend our time, our money, and our emotions. It's on our interest. And if the things that interest me 
are not the same things that interest the person I am in love with, then we have a little problem. And this is what Paul says you do. As a decision, very intentionally, express and learn to express the interests of the person that you want to stay in love with. I was speaking with my wife this week about some of the things that are interesting to her and not so much with me. And we spoke about her interest in gymnastics. She was a little gymnast as a child, was pretty good at it, and still enjoys the sport. And she was said that she had actually just in the past couple of days been thinking about how much fun we had together at the University of Georgia gymnastics meet together. 17 years ago. <laughs> Before marriage. Oh my. I mean, who really wants to go sit in a gym and watch people twirl around for four hours? It's not something I find too interesting. And how am I supposed to get my boys, I've got three boys, how am I supposed to get my boys excited about this? And I did a quick search for Penn State Gymnastics. They charge money to go watch them. <laughs> and they're like 0-3. Who wants to go watch a team that's losing? All that time, all the gasoline going up and back. Oh, I kept thinking of excuses. So I responded to my wife after a few minutes how hard it would be to get the boys excited to go watch a gymnastics meet. Phillies game, Nationals game, Messiah basketball game. Yeah, when do we go? Maybe, honey, maybe it's something we put off a little bit. She responded with great wisdom. It would be a great lesson to teach our boys. Ooh, checkmate. <laughs> so yes, I'm committing to all of you that in the next year, we will go to a gymnastics meet. It's a pretty simple example. And the issue isn't if I'm going to start loving gymnastics. The issue is, am I going to look to her interests or only mine? Am I going to listen with only one ear to her interests because they're not my interest? Or am I going to discover what that one is interested in and move in that direction? See, that's what you do when you want to stay in love. You don't put up with their interests. You find a way to become interested and express interest. Have you ever asked a spouse what the other one does for a living? And they say something like, oh, he does something with wires. She does something with technology or money. You ask for more clarification, like, mm. You're like, how long have you been married? That's a terrible answer. That's awful, right? But if you want to stay in love, you've got to learn how to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and learn to express interest in the interests of the one you are in love with. And you know what's interesting is we know how to do this. You know how I know? Because when you were in love, you found out what they were into. And somehow, temporarily, you were into it. Oh, I love to run. Oh, yeah, I'm a runner. I love to run. And then you go to your buddy, you're like, you got any running shoes? I, 
I just have this brand new pair, and it looked like I, I've never run before. Oh, I'm a runner. Or I would love to meet your parents. Where do they live? When can we go? Or I love gymnastics. When can we go to the gymnastics meet? I can't wait to go watch that. You see, we know how to do it. But once we are in love, we forget to stay there. But if you want to go deep, if you want to stay deep, if you want there to be real intimacy, then you do this. You live as if they are more important. Their interests become at least as important as yours. And you might be sitting there thinking, oh, Andy, that is too ideal. That only happens in a perfect world. That was fine for another generation. And you want to discount this. And at this point, it's almost like Paul is reading our minds. And so Paul takes us to the part where Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Paul says, let me illustrate the way Jesus loves you because that is the model for your marriage. The model is not the way your mama loved you or the way that your daddy loved your mama or the way that your grandparents loved. Here is what it looked like. Here is the model. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, and this morning we're talking about the special relationship you have with that one, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. In other words, I want you to approach your relationship in the same way that Christ Jesus had approached his relationship with you. The same perspective, and this is a command in verse 6. Look, it says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You see, this is huge. You show up in the relationship, and you think that I should get at least 50% of everything. Attention, things to do. I am at least as good as her. I am at least as good as him. I'm at least as important as him or her. So I have certain rights in this relationship. I can demand certain things. I should be able to get certain things out of this relationship. And Paul says, hold on. Here's the model. Here is Jesus, who by his very nature is God. And not one single time in his earthly ministry did Jesus ever hit the I'm God button. Not once did he show up to a gathering and say, you guys, move over, move over. I'm here with my guys. We're in the front row. Not once did he show up to a table hungry and say, hey, you guys leave. Bring us the food. I'm Jesus. I'm here for you. Come on, treat me important like someone who's important. Never in his entire ministry did Jesus leverage who he was for his own sake. And I'm tempted to do this all the time. You're tempted to do this all the time too. You were there first. Don't people know who you are? Don't I bring in all the income for the family? Didn't I do everything to raise the kids I gave birth to the kids. We all have these leverage points. And because of who we are and what we've done, and Paul says, forget that. I want you to follow Jesus. And Jesus 
was more important than everyone else in the room. Every time he showed up in the room, he was the most important person. Every time he showed up in the room, he was the hero. Every time he showed up in the room, he was the rock star. Every time he showed up in the room, he was the business guru. Every time he showed up in the room, he was the famous author. Every single time, he was the most important person in the room. And he never leveraged it for his own sake. And that's our model. Paul goes on in verse 7. He says, Rather, he made himself nothing. Other translations say that he emptied himself. All the rank, all the titles and respect due him. He emptied himself of all of that. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. You know what we say in our culture? He's full of himself. She is full of herself. You know what Paul said 2,000 years ago? He emptied himself. That's the model. See, it says, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That is, he used all that potential for the benefit of others, being made in human likeness. Jesus took on the nature of what? A servant. You know what that means? It means that he left behind his right to and did something different. He didn't have to do any of that. But why did he do it? What was he up to? What was the point of him doing this? Continuing in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a human being. Check this out. He humbled himself. You see, he made the decision. This is a verb. He humbled himself. Nobody else humbled him. He decided to place himself under. He decided to submit. He decided to place himself under. And guess who he humbled and submitted himself to? You and me. Not because he had to, but because he chose to. And that's what love looks like. He humbled himself. What did he choose to do? Did he start coming home for dinner early? No, it was bigger than that. Did he start paying better attention during the conversations? No, it was bigger than that. Did he do a better job with the, promise to do a better job with the checkbook to cause less friction? No, it was bigger than that. Did he pick up the kids from school without being asked? No, it was bigger than that. So what did he do to demonstrate that he was placing himself under, that he was humbling himself in order to create this new relationship with mankind? Let's continue with verse 8. He did it by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. You see, this, this is what Jesus was, was thinking. He was thinking, I can either maintain my rights, maintain the respect due me, maintain getting my way, and I am always right. I never once have to be corrected during a story. I always get the colors right, the time sequence right. 
I always get it right. I can maintain everything I deserve but have no relationship with humanity. Or I can dip into their worlds to establish a relationship with mankind. But in order to do so, I have to give up what is due me, my rights, my respect, and the glory that should come to me as the Son of God. But I can't have it both ways. I can get everything I am due and have nothing to do with them, or I can become one of them, submit myself to the creature, the creator submitting to the creature in order to pay for their sin, in order to pave a way for them to have a relationship with me. But to do so, I have to give up everything I do because I can't have it both ways. You see, when Jesus died on the cross for your sin, he put your deal ahead of his deal. He put your forgiveness ahead of his glory. He put your greatest need before what he rightfully deserved. He put you first and he put me first. He submitted himself to us. Not only did he not need to, we were never equals to begin with. You see, Christ had a dilemma. If we can say that our Heavenly Father had a dilemma. If he wanted relationship with mankind, he would have to give up his rights, rank, and respect. Your Heavenly Father, through his Son, he opted for relationships over respect, opted for relationships over demanding his own way, opted for relationship over the glory that he should have received. He couldn't have it both ways. And my friends, you can't have it both ways either, and neither can I. When it comes to that special relationship, when it comes to that, that one person that goes beyond the group of friends, the intimacy that goes beyond even the physical, that thing, that wonderful thing that God has given us that desire for, that thing you deeply desire, if it is going to be everything you want it to be, God has made it clear Part of you is going to have to die. Part of you is going to have to submit. There will be things that you have to surrender because you can't have it both ways. And you've watched people try to have it both ways. And perhaps you've even tried to have it both ways. And what you ended up with was a roommate. You ended up with was a contract. When you ended up with the relationship, you might have gotten your way every single time. But something was missing. You weren't happy. You're not satisfied. Or maybe what you got was you tried and tried and tried to please someone who could never be pleased. And you did everything you could do, but there was just something missing. It's because it's only when two people come together and say, I'm going to surrender my rights to you. No, I'm going to surrender my rights to you. No, I'm going to... That is the essence. That's the epicenter. And that's where the most amazing thing can happen. God sent his son into the world to model this type of love for our relationships. He opted for relationships over his personal rights. And that's the call of love. That's the call and requirement 
for staying in love. And if you're saying, oh, Andy, that's too high of a price to pay, then don't kid yourself or believe you can do it any other way. But I'm telling you, and there are people all around here and all around the world who would tell you the same thing, that it is the most awesome thing. It is the most amazing thing. It's the most fulfilling thing when two people come together in this way. Because God created you to experience that. And I don't know what you think about God, what you think about church, what you think about the Bible, but I've got some great news for you. The key is found in his word, in the Bible. You see, we can win arguments. We can win arguments. We can prove our points. We can have our way and destroy relationships. Or we can stay in love by submitting our rights, rank, and respect. There's a couple I knew from watching some athletic events. And sometimes as I was leaving the game or, or leaving the parking lot, uh, I could always hear her barking out instructions to her husband. Make sure you pick up our daughter at 11. Oh, and when you bring the chairs to the field, bring these two chairs. And, and bring the red water bottle, not the blue, the blue ones for the next game later on. Almost every time they were together, she treated him with no respect. And you have to think, if that is how she treats him in public, how does she treat him in private? Now, in reality, she was probably right about each point. If we heard her side of the story, we would probably say that everything makes sense. It all sounds appropriate. He had probably forgotten the right water bottle last week. He was probably late to pick up the child a couple of weeks ago. But what an awful marriage. Who would want to go home with her? I don't think he did. But here's what I want you to hear as we could spin this off in about 100 different directions. I don't know the whole story. But this is what I do know. Somewhere along the line, she learned that it was okay to be disrespectful to her husband in public. Even though all of the details were correct, you can't have it both ways. Listen, you can spend the rest of your life being right. You can spend the rest of your life making a point. You can spend the rest of your life winning each and every argument with that one. You can spend the rest of your life getting him in shape or her in shape, but you will not be in love at the end of that process. But you're going to support your angle. You're going to support your approach. And when you sit down with the counselor, you will be right about each and everything, but you will have lost that thing, that relationship that you've cherished and that you want the most. You see, Jesus did not come into this world to be right. He came in the world to submit himself for your sake, for my sake. And in submitting himself and in surrendering himself and in dying for our sin, he discounted the right that we have 
to be right every time. You see, Jesus could have gone all around the earth during his time of ministry, and he could have gone around to every single person he came in contact with. Sinner, 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 sinner. Put your hand down, or I'm going to tell everybody what you've done. And he would have been absolutely right. He could have gone on, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And Jesus would have been right. And we would have had no Savior. You can't have it both ways. Now, this is hard for us, but you're going to have to decide. Am I going to submit and surrender myself to that one? Or am I going to pursue my way, pursue my rights, and I can out-argue everyone. See, you can't have it both ways and stay in love. But I'm telling you, if you find two people that the two people say, I'm going to value you like the most important person in the world. No, I'm going to value you like the most important person in the world. If, if you see this, and once you do this, you're going to be able to figure out how to pick up the kids on time. You'll be able to figure out how to grab the right water bottle. Once you treat the other person like they are the most important person in the room, in your life, can you imagine what it's like? There's something inside of us, something deep inside of each one of us that says, I want that. That would be awesome. And that's what God desires for you. And that's what God created the potential for when he created human beings and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be that model so that you can stay in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are wonderfully made, created in your image with this deep desire to have a special relationship with that one person. Father, I know it's easy for myself to look to my own interests, and Father, we just ask collectively that in each marriage represented here now and in the future, help us to always put the other person first. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to be that model of love for us and help us to follow it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.